Chapter Two of Taking the Bastille by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Ange Pitou. Ange was too young to feel the whole extent of his loss, but he divined that the angel of the hearth had vanished. And when the body was taken to the churchyard and interred, he sat down by the grave and replied to all pleadings for him to come away by saying that Mama Madeleine was there, that he never had left her, and he would stay beside her now. It was there that Dr. Gilbert, for Ange Pitou's future guardian was a physician, found him when he hastened to Herimont on receiving the dying mother's appeal. Ange was very young when thus he saw the doctor for the first time. But we know youth can feel deep impressions leaving everlasting memories the previous passing of the young man of mystery through the cottage had impressed its trace he had left welfare with the boy every time ange heard his mother pronounce the benefactor's name it had been almost with worship finally when he appeared grown up adorned with the title of physician joining to the past boons the future promises Pitou had judged by his mother's gratitude that he ought himself be grateful. The poor lad, without clearly knowing what he was saying, faltered words of eternal remembrance and profound thanks, such as he had heard his mother use. Therefore, as soon as he perceived the doctor coming among the grassy graves and broken crosses, he understood that he came at his mother's appeal, and he could not say no to him as to the others. He made him no resistance except to turn his head to look backwards, as Dr. Gilbert grasped his hand and led him from the cemetery. A stylish cab was at the gates, into which the doctor made the poor boy step, and he was taken to the town tailor's, where he was fitted with clothes. They were made too large so that he would grow up to them. At the rate our hero grew, this would not take long. Thus equipped, Ange was walked in a quarter of the town called Pleur, where Pitou's pace slackened. He recalled this as being the abode of his Aunt Angelique, of whom he had preserved an appalling memory. Indeed, the old maid had no attractions for a boy who cherished true motherly affections. She was nearly sixty by this period. The minute practice of religion had brutalized her, and mistaken piety had twisted all sweet, merciful, and humane feelings, so that she cultivated in their stead a natural dose of greedy intelligence, augmented daily by her association with all the prudes. She did not precisely live on public charity, but besides the sale of linen thread hand-spun, and letting out chairs in the church, she received from kindly souls ensnared by her devout posturings, petty coin which she converted into silver and that into gold. Nobody suspected she accumulated them, and she stuffed the gold in the cushion and frame of an old armchair in which she sat at work. It was to this venerable relative's dwelling that Gilbert led little Pitou. We might say big Pitou, for he was too large for his age. Miss Rose, Angelique, Pitou, as they came up, was in a merry humor as she had just sent another gold piece to go and keep company with the rest of her hoard. 
She was going around her seat of revenue when the doctor and his ward appeared at the door, and she had to welcome the relic of her family. The interview would have been affecting if it had not been so grotesque. The doctor, a man of keen observation and physiognomist, read the character of the hypocritical old maid at a glance. With her long nose, thin lips, and small bright eyes, she collected in one person cupidity, selfishness, and hypocrisy. As soon as the stranger stated his little text on the duty of aunts to take care of their nieces and nephews, she turned sour, and replied that, whatever her love for her poor sister, and her interest in her dear little nephew, the slenderness of her means did not permit her, though she was godmother as well as aunt, to add to her expenses. "'It is this way, Master Gilbert. This would run me into six cents a day extra, for that a lubberly boy would eat a pound of bread.' Ange screwed up his face, for he could tuck away a pound and a half at breakfast alone. "'This is saying nothing for his washing, for he is a dirty little chap.' Considering that Ange was a regular gypsy for burrowing after moles and climbing trees, this was true enough. But it is fair to say that he tore his clothes worse than he soiled them. "'Fee,' said Dr. Gilbert, "'do you, who understand the Christian virtues so well, make such close calculations about a nephew and an orphan?' "'Then the keeping of his clothes in repair?' went on the miser, recalling the quantity of patches she had seen sewn by her sister on the knees and seat of Master Ange's pants. "'In short,' said the doctor, "'you refuse to shelter your nephew in your house, the orphan boy who will have to beg for alms at the doors of others.' Mean as she was, she felt the disgrace befalling her as if she drove her next of kin to this step. "'No, I will take charge of him,' she said. "'Good,' said the doctor, delighted to find a moist spot in this desert. "'I will recommend him to the Augustan Monastery, and have them take him as a boy of all work.' The doctor was a philosopher we have mentioned, which means that he was the opponent of all the churchmen. He resolved to tear this recruit from the enemy with all the warmth that the Augustines would have shown to deprive him of a disciple. "'Well,' he rejoined, sticking his hands in his deepest pocket, "'since you are in so hard a position, dear Miss Angelique, that you are forced to send your nephew into beggary, I will find somebody else to take him, and the sum I am going to set aside for his maintenance. I am obliged to return to America.' Meanwhile, I must apprentice the boy to some craft, which he can choose for himself. In my absence he will grow up, and then we will see what to make of him. Kiss your good aunt good-bye, and let us try our luck elsewhere," concluded the doctor. He had barely finished before Pitou rushed into his aunt's long, bony arms to exchange the hug which he wanted to be in token of eternal separation. But the mention of a sum of money and Gilbert's movements of putting his hand in his pocket for cash with the clink of silver 
set the warmth of greed up from her old heart. "'Lord, doctor, do not you know that nobody in all the wide world can love this poor lone, lorn thing like his own dear fond auntie?' Entwining him with her long arms, she imprinted on his cheeks a couple of kisses so sour that they made his hair stand on end and then curl with a shriveling up. "'Just what I thought, but still you are too poor to do the proper thing.' "'Nay, good Master Gilbert,' said the pious dame, "'forget not that we have the father of the fatherless above.' and that he has promised that a swallow shall not be sold for a penny without its being spent for the orphan's share the text may be so but it nowhere says that the orphan is to be bound out as a servant i am afraid to do with ange as i suggested it would be too dear for your slight resources but with the sum you spoke of in your pocket said the old devotee with her eyes riveted on the place whence the chink had sounded i would give it assuredly but only on condition that the boy should be brought up to some livelihood i promise that cried aunt angelique i vow it as true as the sheep are tempered for the storm wind and she raised her skeleton hand to heaven Well replied gilbert drawing out a bag rounded with coin i am ready to deposit the funds but you must sign a contract at lawyer niquet's niquet was her own business man and she raised no objections a bargain was made for five years ange Pertou was to be brought up to some trade and boarded etc for two hundred livres to his aunt a year the doctor paid down the money Next day he quitted Villers, after arranging matters with a farmer on some property of his, named Billet, whose acquaintance we shall make in good time. Miss Pitou, pouncing on the first payment in advance of the maintenance fund, buried eight bright gold pieces in her armchair bottom. With eight lever over, she put the small change, waiting to make up the amount of a gold piece to be placed, when converted, in the peculiar savings bank. We notice the scant sympathy Ange felt for his aunt. He had foreseen the sorrow, disappointment, and tribulations awaiting him under her roof. In the first place, as soon as the doctor had turned his back, there was no longer a question about his learning any trade. When the good notary made a remark on this agreement, the tender aunt rejoined that her nephew was too delicate to be put out to work. The lawyer had admired his client's sensitive heart and deferred the apprenticeship question for another year. He was only twelve, so that it would not waste much valuable time. While his aunt was ruminating how to evade the contract, Ange resumed his truant life in the woods as led at Haramal. It was the same woods, and hence the same life. As soon as he had the best spots located for bird-catching, he made some bird-lime, and having a four-pound loaf under his arm, he went off into the forest for the whole day. He had foreseen a storm when he came back at nightfall, but he expected to parry it with the proceeds of his skill. He had not presaged how the tempest would fall. In fact, 
Aunt Angelique had ambushed herself behind the door to deal him a cuff as he crept in which he recognized as inflicted by her hard hand. Happily, he had a hard head too, and though the blows staggered him, he had the sense left to hold out as a peace-offering and buckler the talisman he had prepared. It was a bunch of two dozen small birds. "'What is this?' challenged his aunt, continuing to grumble for form's sake, but opening her eyes more widely than her mouth. "'Birds, you see, good Aunt Angelique,' replied Pitou as she grabbed the lot. "'Good to eat?' questioned the old maid, who was greedy in all her senses of the word. "'Redbreasts and larks. I should bet they are good to eat, but they are better to sell. They command a good price in the market.' "'Where did you steal them, you little rogue?' "'Steal? They ain't stolen. I took em at the pool in the woods. A fellow has only to set up limed twigs anywhere round the water, and the silly birds get tangled. Then you run up, wring their necks, and there you have them.' "'Lime? Do you catch birds with lime?' queried Angelique not mortar-lime, bless your innocence, but bird-lime. It is made by boiling down holly-sap. I understand, but where did you get the money to buy holly-sap? I should be a saphead to buy that. One makes it. Ah, then these birds are to be had for the picking up? Yes, any day, but— not every day, for, of course, you cannot catch on Tuesday those you caught on Monday. Very true, returned the aunt, amazed at the brightness her nephew was for once displaying. You are right. This unheard-of approval delighted the boy. But on the days when you ought not to go to the pools, you go elsewhere— when you are not catching birds, you snare hares. You can eat them, too, and sell the skins for two cents. Angelique stared at her nephew, who was coming out as a financier. Oh, I can do the selling. Of course, just as Mother Madeline did. For Pitou had never supposed he was to enjoy the fruit of his hunting. When will you go snaring hares? she asked eagerly. I will go snaring hares and rabbits when I have wire for snares. All right. Make it. Oh, I cannot do that, Patou said, scratching his head. I must buy that at the store, but I can weave the springes. What does it cost? I can make a couple of dozen with four cents worth, and it ought to catch half a dozen bunnies— and the snares are used over and over again, unless the gamekeeper sees them. "'Here are four cents,' said Aunt Angelique. "'Go and buy wire, and get the rabbits to-morrow.' Wire was cheaper in the town than at the village, so that Ange got material for twenty-four snares for three cents. He brought the odd copper to his aunt, who was touched by his honesty. For an instant she felt like giving him the scent, 
but unfortunately for Ange, it had been flattened by a hammer and might be passed in the dusk for a two-sou piece. She thought it wicked to squander a piece that might bring a hundred per cent, and she popped it into her pouch. Patou made the snares, and in the morning asked mysteriously for a bag. In it she put the bread and cheese for his meals, and away he went to his hunting-ground. Meanwhile, she plucked the robins intended for their dinner. She took a brace of larks to Abbe Fortier, and two brace to the golden ball innkeeper who paid her three cents for them, and ordered as many as she could supply at that rate. She went home beaming. The blessing of heaven had entered the house with Ange Batou. "'They are quite right, who say a good action is never thrown away,' she observed as she munched the robins, as fat as ortolans and delicate as becafacois. At dark in walked Ange, with the rounded-out bag on his shoulders. Aunt Angelique received him on the threshold, but not with a slap. "'Here I am, with my bag.' said he with the calmness of having well spent his day and what have you in the bag cried the aunt stretching out her hand in sharp curiosity beech mast replied pitou it is this way if daddy lajeunus the gamekeeper saw me rambling without the bag he would want to know what i was looking for and he would feel suspicion but when he challenged me with the bag, I just answered him, "'I am gathering beech-mast, father. It is not forbidden to gather mast, is it?' And not being forbidden, he could not do anything. So he said nothing except, "'You have a good aunt, Patou. Give her my compliments.' "'So you have been collecting mast instead of catching rabbits?' cried Aunt Angelique angrily no no i laid my snares under cover of mast gathering the old donkey saw me doing that and thought it right but the game said the woman bent on the first principle the moon will be up at twelve and i will go and see how many i have snared you will go into the woods at midnight why not what is there to be afraid of the woman was as amazed at ange's courage as at the breadth of his speculations but brought up in the woods ange was not to be scared at what terrifies the town boy so at midnight he set out skirting the cemetery wall for the innocent lad never in his ideas offending anybody had no more fear of the dead than of the living the only person he dreaded was lajeunus so he made a turn round his house and stopped to imitate the barking of a dog so naturally that the gamekeeper's basset snorer deceived by the provocation replied with a full throat and came to the door to sniff the air pitou ran on chuckling for if snorer were home his master was surely asleep there as the man and the dog were inseparable in the snares two rabbits had been strangled Patou stuffed them into the pockets of a coat, made too long for him and now too small. Greed kept the ant awake, though she had lain down. She had reckoned on two brace of game. "'Only a pair,' said Pitou. "'It is not my fault that I have not done better. 
but these are the cunningest rabbits for miles around next day patou renewed his enterprises and had the luck to catch three rabbits two went to the tavern and one to abbe fortier who recommended aunt angelique to the benevolent of the town thus things went on for three or four months the woman enchanted and ange thinking life endurable except for his mother's loss matters were such as at Haramal. he passed his time in rural pleasures but an unexpected circumstance broke the jar of illusion of the prude and stopped the nephew's trapping a letter from dr gilbert arrived from new york he had not forgotten his little ward on landing but asked master niquet if his instructions had been followed and if young petou were learning the means to make his own living it was a pinch for there was no denying that ange was in first-rate health he was tall and lank but so are hickory saplings and nobody doubts their strength and elasticity the aunt asked a week to put in her reply it was miserable for both Petou asked no better career than he was leading, but it was quiet at the time. Not only did the cold weather drive the birds away, but the snow fell, and, as it would retain footprints, he dared not go into the woods to lay traps and snares. During the week the old maid's claws grew. She made the stripling so wretched that he was ready to take up any trade rather than be her butt any longer. Suddenly, a sublime idea sprouted in her cruelly tormented brain where peace reigned again father fortier had two purses for poor students attached to his school out of the bounty of the duke of orleans angelique resolved to beg him to enter ange for one of them this would cost the teacher nothing and to say nothing of the game on which the woman had been nourishing the doctor for half a year he owed something to the church seat letter indeed ange was received without fee by the schoolmaster the old girl was delighted for it was the school of the district where dr gilbert's son was educated he paid fifty livres and ange got in for nothing but nobody was to let sebastian gilbert or any others know that whether they guessed this or not ange was received by his schoolfellows with that sweet spirit of brotherhood born among children and perpetuated among the grown-ups in other words with hooting and teasing but when three or four of the budding tyrants made the acquaintance of petou's enormous fist and were trodden under his even more enormous foot respect began to be diffused he would have had a life a shade less worried than when under angelique's wing but father fortier and soliciting little children to come unto him forgot to warn them that the hands he held out were armed with the latin rudiments and birch rods little did the aunt care whether the information was flogged or insinuated mentally into her nephew she basked in the golden ray from dreamland that in three years ange would pass the examination and be sent to college with the orleans purse then would he become a priest when he would of course make his aunt his housekeeper one day a rough awakening came to this delusion ange crawled into the house as if shod in lead what is the matter cried aunt gelique who had never seen a more piteous mien are you hungry no 
replied Pitou dolefully. The hearer was uneasy, for illness is a cause of alarmed good mothers and bad godmothers as it forces expenses. It is a great misfortune, Pitou blubbered. Father Fortier sends me home from school. So no more studies, no examination, no purse, no college. His sobs changed into howls, while the woman stared at him to try to read in his soul the reason for this expulsion. "'I suppose you have been playing truant again,' she said. "'I hear that you are always roaming round Farmer Billet's place to catch a sight of his daughter Catherine. Fee, fee, very pretty conduct in a future priest.' Ange shook his head. "'You lie!' shrieked the old maid, with her anger rising with the growing certainty that it was a serious scrape. "'Last Sunday you were again seen rambling in lover's walk with Kate Billet.' It was she who fibbed, but she was one who believed the end justified the means, and a whale truth might be caught by throwing out a tub-lie. "'Oh, no, they could not have seen me there,' cried Ange, "'for we were out by the orange gardens.' "'There, you wretch! You see, you were with her.' "'But this is not a matter that Miss Belay is concerned in,' ventured Ange, blushing like the overgrown boy of sixteen that he was. "'Yes, call her Miss, to pretend you have any respect for her. The flirt, the jilt, the mincing minx. I will tell her father confessor how she is carrying on.' "'But I take my Bible oath that she is not a flirt.' "'You defend her when you need all the excuses you can rake up for yourself. This is going on fine.' what is the world coming to when children of sixteen are walking arm in arm under the shade trees but aunt you are a way out catherine will not let me arm her she keeps me off at arm's length you see how you break down your own denials you are calling her catherine plain now oh why not kate or kitty or some such silly nickname which you use in your iniquitous familiarity she drives you away to have you come nearer they all do do they there i never thought of that exclaimed the swain suddenly enlightened ah you will have something else to think of and she said the old prude i will manage all this i will ask father fortier to lock you up on bread and water for a fortnight and have her put in a nunnery if she cannot moderate her fancy for you she spoke so emphatically that pitou was frightened you are altogether wrong my good aunt pleaded he clasping his hands miss catherine has nothing to do with my misfortune impurity is the mother of all the vices returned angelique sententiously 
but impurity has nothing to do with my being turned out of school objected the youth the teacher put me out because i made too many barbarisms and solecisms which prevent me of having any chance to win that purse oh, what will become of you then blessed if i know wailed petou who had never looked upon priesthood with aunt gelique as housekeeper as paradise on earth let come what providence pleases he sighed lamentably raising his eyes providence do you call it i see you have got hold of these new-fangled ideas about philosophy that cannot be aunt for i cannot go into philosophy till i have passed rhetoric and i am only in the third course joke away sneered the old maid to whom the school jargon was greek i speak of the philosophy of these philosophers not what a pious man like the priest would allow in his holy house you are a serpent and you have been gnawing a file of the newspapers in which these dreadful writers insult king and queen and the church he is lost when aunt angelique said her ward was lost she meant that she was ruined the danger was imminent she took the sublime resolution to run to father fortier's for explanation and above all to try to patch up the breach end of chapter two recording by john van stan savannah georgia